Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness, and current events, all through the lens of faith. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Science Radio. My name's Jesse, I'll be your host today, and I am joined by Dr. Christiana Lehmana-Len. Christiana has worked in cardiovascular research in molecular cardiology and hypertension. She's obtained her PhD through the University of New South Wales, and she did her postdoctoral training at Loma Linda University in California. Dr. Christiana, welcome. Thank you. So good to have you. You wrote an article for us in the July issue of Science of the Times magazine, all about gut health. Exactly. Yes. And so this is obviously an area that is interesting to you and to your work. Would you just be able to tell us a little bit about yourself? I know I've given you the official introduction, but do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and maybe a little bit about how gut health factors in to what you do on a daily basis? So my background's in um, medical research and I was doing quite a bit of that before over in Sydney and then I went over to Loma Linda University in California and just did my postdoc training there. And so uh, that's just been only in the area of cardiovascular. And uh, But in recent years, it's been, actually it's been quite some time that I've just had an interest in nutrition and so it's just been something that I've looked into just for my own journey, but also then with the development with this whole gut health, gut microbiome and the importance of it and the impacts a whole lot of different things that it just creates more of a attention and, and people are interested on it. And so that's why I've just been looking into it a lot more. I am working as a health director in Greater Sydney Conference. And so I look after some of the community activities that rolled out across Sydney by Seventh-day Adventist churches. So I help out basically with that and coordinate and support and empower people to be able to roll out different health programs. And I'm also partly with LEL Wellness and as a contractor there. And and so there is also a really good gut program actually from LEL mm. Wellness, Enhance Your Gut Health program. It goes for seven weeks and people can do on their own or with groups. And so it, it's just been something that for some reason it's just been coming onto my attention and to my plate when I'm searching different things, particularly nutrition. Uh, that's where I'm at. I think you touched on it really well in that last little that section. It is something that has become in vogue for people to yes. care about their gut health. Yes. And look, I, I will admit that I've only really become aware of this in the last few years just did not even think about it. And I know mm. that this has been an area of research for some time. You, We were talking earlier about how the fact that this, the research into gut health has gone way back, but the public awareness of yes. gut health, is it's, it feels like it's a fresh new thing. Yes. Um, even yes. if it's not. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, look, I think our development of understanding on the impact of microbes has been developing more and we've been hearing a lot, a lot about virus in recent times because of the pandemic but really it stemmed from the time when the germ-free theory came out and and that was the time when there was an understanding more in terms of the impact of bacteria and virus on our health and so it's been more on the focus on the 
pathology of microbes and how it actually causes disease. But in I guess in the last probably 15 years, it's maybe even longer than that, actually, maybe 20, a couple of decades, we've been seeing more on just how it actually now is, there are some benefits in some of these bacteria. And microbiome is, it goes, it's not just in the gut. It's also on our skin and also in our mouth, in the genital areas. And so there are these regions in which there's actually the human microbiome project that's also been developed since the early 2000s. So that has also opened up more of an understanding of the gene profiling of these microbes in these regions that I just mentioned from our nasal, oral, skin, our gut, and as well as the genital areas. That has opened up in terms of, yeah, the understanding of it and and the just the genes that actually come from these microbes as well. It's like astounding the number of genes that come from these microbes that there are about the, the there's like human genome consists about 23,000 genes and the microbiome encodes about 3 million genes. Oh, wow. That's and that produces you know, thousands of metabolites. Um, this is just looking at genes, not even like the cells itself. There are, so we have... Uh, we, we need to actually understand more the impact and the workings of these microbes and what it's doing because it's we're carrying it everywhere and we either need to look after it or we don't actually look after it and it will then impede on our health. Yeah. Why has the gut been the main point of attention if, as you say, our microbiome is made up of almost the entire body. Why is the gut in particular the special point of interest for, for many people? Yeah, so there is more of development of understanding that it actually contributes to our health, to our well-being, to our mental health, and and also even our metabolism and our immune system, our energy these things are very important to any human being to be able to function, A, to be able to thrive and not get sick all the time, and B, to be able to concentrate, to, to function mentally, and, and also to, to feel good. So, these are, so there's this connection between the mind and the gut that's been more and more appreciated, that there is this connection, A, because of the vagus nerve, but also because of the neurotransmitters that are released from the gut. About 90% of the serotonin that is released in our body is because is due to the gut microbiome. They These critters release these neurotransmitters, whether it's serotonin, dopamine, a whole lot of other ones that, that actually help to either to help us to make, to feel good, to motivate us. And yeah, so this is, I think, where there is this more and more of an interest, but also importance for us to actually understand, uh, even with, you know, um, understanding on irritable bowel syndrome and a whole lot of other metabolism like disease and it's been associated even with type 2 diabetes and then of course there's a mental health with schizophrenia with alzheimer's anxiety and depression so yeah, wow, yeah. It, it begs for us to actually learn more about them but actually to also look after them yeah and, and, yeah. and even respect yeah. <laughs> you know their function as well 
You blew my mind when you were talking about, we often associate this with bacteria, but you mentioned in the article how your microbiome is made up of, is it, it, the three is bacteria, fungus, and viruses? Yeah, that's right. And which is pretty astounding. (laughs) There's good viruses and good fungus. There's like, is there a mushroom forest growing on inside me, Christiana? I'm very concerned. We hope there's no mushroom forest growing inside of you because then you'll need some, a different kind, you'll need some sort of treatment with that. But it, yeah, there is a population of of all of these things that are in our, in our gut microbiome or in the gut microbiota, which is the population. And I guess the balance is really what's key uh, with these and even uh, amongst bacteria. Now, a lot of the times we talk about bacteria and that's because really they're the ones that has been studied more in terms of understanding of the genes and the function, the being able to isolate some of these bacterial species and to know what they do. So that's why bacteria has always been more of the focus because we have just more understanding on it and accessibility, being able to reproduce them in in vitro environment. And But yeah, the, it's the balance really amongst these things that doesn't actually then cause pathology. So if you've got more of a particular microbes, pop, microbe species, a particular bacterial species, for example, so more of, so there is this, they talk about this balance between the species of bacteria deeds and firmicutes. And these help to... <laughs> Firmicutes. I know. It, sound, it, it sounds like cute as well. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if you have more of these Firmicutes and less of the Bacteroidetes population, and these, are, these represent many different kind of like species of bacteria, there is more of a risk, a propensity towards development of obesity. Or those who have obesity have this more of this imbalance. And what you want is actually to have a balance of these Firmicuti species and right. Bacteroidid species. And if you have it the other way around where you have more of these Bacteroidids, you have irritable bowel syndrome. And, and again, it's really this understanding how much of this balance, how do you weigh this balance up? Weigh this balance of these two kind of like species, and then, but then there's a whole lot of other ones as well. Antibiotics, for example, if you take antibiotics, you've been given because of different infection, and there are times when there is a role for antibiotics. But unfortunately, antibiotics does wipe out a whole bunch of population of of bacteria, and so it then will allow for other. So some of the candida and all of these other sort of fungus, they will then thrive more because there is less of the bacteria and they will then take over the flora, then changes. And that's when you actually get these um, pathologies. So it's really like a balance. And yeah, you want more of something than the other on some species. Because I think most people don't even really have a conception of this. We eat, we drink, we exercise, we don't exercise, we put all sorts of things in our bodies. We don't really consider the implications of 
the, or at least we're not even aware of what's inside our microbiota. So microbiota, that's the town and the microbiome is the residence. Is that? Microbiota is the residence, the kind Uh, of residence. And then microbiome is like the environment, the function, the genes that- So your microbiota, that's your fungus, that's your bacteria, that's your, yeah, Yeah. cool. So we, (laughs) most of, I don't really have an idea of what's going on inside my body. I hear certain things like we'll talk a little bit later about fermented foods or those sorts of things that are good to, to have to get good health. What would you say if somebody is experiencing, okay, so you listed a bunch of things. You listed irritable bowel syndrome. You even all the way up to schizophrenia, I, I yeah. think. So there's a whole range of health issues that we can get if we're not keeping that equilibrium in, in in balance and sort of thing. Let's say that somebody has some sort of issue. They go to their doctor. The doctor says this could be a micro, this could be a gut issue. This could be a microbiome issue. Maybe that's a, a contributing factor. Maybe it's not the whole thing. What would you say is a good place to start if somebody wants to get a sense for how their microbiome is doing like what is there a test that you can do what's the first step seeing a health professional is important um, to do this because then you can be obviously advised on what to do and advice to how to understand it the impact of it and it is a fairly uh, growing but like new area not everyone is trained in in terms of the gut health and understanding the analysis of the microbiome testing so you want to see a a health professional to to do that you can actually get your own order your own kit to get yourself tested there is a place called you can actually google this it's basically with microba insights you can go to insights.microba.com and you can actually then look up on how you can get this gut test and they have different kind of if you want to get it tested every three months or once in six months twice a year or just a single kit I think it's about two, three hundred dollars for a single kit for you to just get your own but to understand how to then what you do with that. So what does that mean? Yeah, I'm not a health professional. I I can't pass the data. So there are some lists of health professionals Mm. on the site that you can look up different professionals who can actually help with the analysis, but just the understanding from the analysis and what can you do then with your diet and what can you do with your lifestyle? What are some of the recommendations that they would give depending on what this, what complications you may have or symptoms and definitely see a health professional about it and ask some doctors who might be able to who has some interest as well in that area if you have a lifestyle medicine doctor they would be able to direct you definitely to a whether it's a dietitian or maybe themselves that they have some sort of gut health training or a gastroenterologist specialist right yeah I think this is important because one of the things that you pointed out to me is that everybody's different. Exactly, yes. So it's not like a, 
you know, Christiana's going to sit here and tell, this is what the five things that you should do. Everybody should do the same thing. It's it's something that you have to work through with a, a doctor or a specialist. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. And also our profile will, will fluctuate depending on the exposure of stress, uh, sleep deprivation changes your microbiome. And so they've done some, there's some studies that have looked at the different patterns of the species, the increase and decrease of it, depending on how much you sleep. And so sleep, stress, being also the neurotransmitters are released. Also, quite a lot of them are released from the neuro, from our gut. So these choices that we make from day to day, they impact our microbiome. So this is where... It is, it is a growing area where there is still growing understanding and what does it actually really mean? So while it's still exci- while it's exciting, but it's also, I think it's still a fresh area, so much more uh, to understand, even for like specific disorders, whether it's right. autism or Alzheimer's disease or depression or even just obesity or irritable bowel syndrome. And I'm sure there's more nuance than this. But almost what I'm hearing is sounding like almost everything that you do affects your gut microbiome in a way. (laughs) way We got eating, we got sleeping, we got exercise, we've got stress. Yes. Everything. (laughs) Yes. Your mood, right? All of that. Yeah. The the chicken and the egg. Where is, what's the chicken, what's the egg here? Yeah. Talk to us about emotions because this is something that you mentioned in the article and you've already mentioned it a couple of times that your um, microbiome is affects or is affected by or both the your mood, how you're feeling, how you're feeling can affect your microbiome. What What's the relationship there? Because that sounds like obviously we know that there are physiological elements that affect your mind and your mind affects your physiology and vice versa. All this sort of stuff is all interconnected. Mm. Um, The reason I ask is because we recently had a physiotherapist on the podcast who talked about this concept of it's all in your head. This thing we often say to people that are experiencing stress or some sort of discomfort or whatever, and that actually there is a really huge connection between your brain and he was talking about nerves and pain, the experience of pain. But it sounds like there's also a very deep connection between your mind and your microbiome. Mm, yeah. So we, and uh, this is the thing, you can't compartmentalize it with, okay, it, let's just look at the mood. Uh, well, if we look at, we're thinking about mood or how you're feeling, that is contributed to uh various factors right and a the kind of food that you eat so that will whether or not you those who have deprived themselves from a lot of carbs there is reduction of the serotonin we need carbohydrate and i'm talking about whole foods complex carbohydrates not refined carbohydrates to be able to help to release the serotonin and which then is the good mood hormone and so these are then released. And so we need the serotonin. Then we need also some dopamine and exercise helps to actually, your brain loves the gym. 
that's basically what it is. My brain might love the gym, but other parts <laughs> of me don't. Christiana, I'll be very honest with you. <laughs> I know. Look, I, I, it's hard, especially when it's winter. Yeah. And this morning, getting up from like the bed, just yeah. opening that that blanket, and then you feel the cold air. It's just, yeah. ugh, not you don't want to get up. In there. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in essence, that's that's what it is. Like movement actually impacts mood. So the more that we move, the more that we actually then feel good about ourselves because of that release of the dopamine and you want to exercise more. And then there is also being outside in the sun that also helps to actually elevate our mood because vitamin D then comes into play. And vitamin D is that vitality hormone. You have, you got to check what is your level of vitamin D, especially those who have darker skin, even olive skin like myself, or even those who are have darker skin and those who cover themselves up completely, those who wear a head covering because of religious reasons and all of that, that also impacts on the vitamin D level, which then impacts your mood and what how we expose ourselves into the sun with our skin exposure outside during that time when you get the UVB ray between 10 and 3, that also has that contributes also to that vitamin D synthesis. And then of course, then there's vitamin D supplements. So what you eat, and then we talked about, I just mentioned about movement impacts your mood, which then impacts your gut microbiome. The food impacts your gut microbiome. And then also sleep, that also impacts so that also then changes we become more irritable if we actually sleep less we're not able to concentrate and retain memory or recall memory as quick um, with less of sleep and that then changes also the hormones and so it's all it's really interrelated so if we want to be able to be happier people we really need to move more be outside more and be able to have enough sleep. Uh, and so, these are like some simple things, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that are just like, we know it's simple, <laughs> it makes sense, but come on, give us a pill that will actually just, yeah. can just get over that. But there's no substitute. These are like things that we really need to just be more intentional to look after these things. It's almost like we were created for this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, these things are created. Like we have a, this earth is created as a home for us to be able to gain from it, right? Even having animals around us like pets, right? That increases also our mood. Now, I know this is like not necessarily talking about the microbiome here, but that, that in, in fact, there's that oxytocin that's released because being able to hug, even if you don't have a partner, but having that animal actually gives you joy and makes you think about, and yeah, and of course, and there's other meaning, finding meaning and purpose in life, being happy in your work, being knowing that you've got some sort of contribution to what you do, that also impacts your mood. And so I'm, I feel like I'm like, <laughs> slowly migrating, like expanding the factors here. But, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'm Well, it's all in interconnected, right? That's what yes, you're saying. It yeah. is, yes. Yeah. You it's can't, all interconnected. Again, you can't compartmentalize parts of your life to try and cheat the system. Yes, exactly. And But that's the beauty of it. And that, yeah, we're just supposed to get these simple, basic lifestyle changes. It's not doesn't have to be expensive. Which I think is 
yeah, it, it can be very hopeful for people because I think one of the areas that I see gut health really taking off is in the tech bro sort of space, the Silicon Valley, the biomedical space, which we're talking about millionaires and billionaires doing these crazy systems. I think that's actually maybe where I heard about gut health for the first time was by from some Silicon Valley CEO who had some system of a, a, a testing kit or something oh, like okay. that could tell you everything about you. And I was like, what in the world is this? Yes. Expensive, number yes. one, mm-hmm. all about making money. Yeah, I'm sure there's some probably benefit to a lot of these things and not to discredit anybody. I'm not a medical professional, so who am I to judge? But I think that a lot of people's possible interactions with this stuff are these companies that wanted to sell you this product. And I'm sure a lot of them are helpful, but I'm also hearing from you that you don't necessarily need to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars in order to improve your gut health. You can just simply do these basic things that everybody should do. Yes, exactly. And these are this is preventive. Obviously, if someone has some issues, that they need to have some sort of treatment to be able to help them to thrive and heal. And But if one does not necessarily have uh, difficulties with some things, start looking after these areas and consider being intentional and have a look at where are you in your lifestyle in terms of your sleep pattern, in terms of your movement pattern. Are you going outside during the day? And are you moving during the day? Because oftentimes we, we sit and sitting is comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to admit that. Sitting is comfortable, especially this chair that I'm sitting on. Yeah. It's, this is a pretty good chair, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's I don't not bad. mind this chair. <laughs> I might recommend it to some people to get one for me. <laughs> but yeah, like the, these things are, they. It, it's a big deal. Yeah. It contributes as much as we, we can't see these critters. Can't see it on our skin, but they're there. Yeah. You start to change different things. You start to get these skin infections and the environment changes. And so you have to reintroduce the flora again. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about kids, especially young kids, because you talk a little bit about this in your article. You talk about how, I'll just read a little bit actually, a baby's first exposed to the microorganisms from their mother during a natural delivery, a vaginal delivery, and at breastfeeding. And you talk about how the first 1,000 days, so the first rough three years or so of a child's life, are critical for the building, I'm quoting here, of the microbial population in a baby's gut. Okay, so... I know that there'll be a lot of probably young parents, young mums listening to this, people who are thinking about having kids. Uh, all these people are probably wondering, okay, what do I need to feed my child? What do I need to expose them to in order to help them develop a healthy microbiome? If the first three or so years are that critical, what do I need to be thinking about the most? Okay. Now, I, I want to uh, share that I, I believe every mother wants to do their best for their children, for their babies, whether it's pre or post. And this is where understanding, educating yourself, looking for some things is important because it 
when you're carrying a baby, yeah, you're impacting someone's a baby's life. And so if anyone is actually wanting to be a mom one day, they need to look after, start to look after their diet, their nutrition. And I think that's important. And so whole foods, less processed foods. So more of the processed foods, more of the sugar, and I'm talking about refined sugar here, and in even alcohol or even smoking, they impact the maternal health. And so as a woman, it actually changes hey, your microbiome, obviously. And also the level of even folate is a very important, important thing to consider how much folate you actually have in your body. And so preparing yourself is important. So prior to you having a baby. So there are supplements that one can actually get from, from the chemist. These supplements are available to get yourself ready for to be pregnant. And so uh, these are important. So having this whole food uh, nutrition, less process, and that already can actually make a huge difference. And I'm talking about even having enough of the fruit and vegetables, having the, or we're supposed to actually have about five to six serves of veggies a day. And that's a lot. A actually. lot of people don't get that. And um, yeah, most of us don't. If we're not intentional, we might have a veggie burger and that would probably have <laughs> less than a, uh, you would have a few leaves and a slice of tomato. Yeah. Uh, and then in the evening, maybe like a pasta, which has a little bit more tomatoes, but that's that doesn't cover. And so then you want to have fiber and fiber is very important for your microbiome. They, in fact, the microbiome feed in fiber. And so these, having this sort of like fiber, antioxidants, antioxidant-rich foods, which then reduces inflammation, these all contribute to the maternal health and being able to move as well. Having that movement, inducing that hormone, because hormone changes also is, is huge when it comes to having preparing yourself to have a baby. So when you're actually already having a baby and you don't, you're exposing yourself to these inflammatory products, whether it's alcohol or smoking or a whole lot of other processed foods and high sugar intake, even sodas and drinking a lot of these juices. And, and I'm talking about like high sugar things to, that that actually is not will then of course change your microbiome which will then affect also your baby because the mothers who look after themselves with the nutrition and as well as movement they have healthier microbiome which then transfers onto the baby when the baby comes out and this depends also on the delivery whether they come out from the vaginal delivery so vaginal canal or through cesarean and if you have there is more of a benefit when the baby comes out from the vaginal canal compared to the, because the baby then takes on this uh, microbiome that is actually present around um, the area there. And so that helps actually then prepare them as well. And then breastfeeding. Mm. The, the Sorry, kind of before food. we go to yes. post, I'm just wanting to drill down on the the development stage of the fetus and into the baby. The microbiome that a mother has as she's developing the, the child in her womb, is that, is, 
I'm asking this in a very crude way because I'm not a, a, a medical person. Does the microbiome from the mother get copy pasted onto the child or does it develop its own microbiome and is affected by the mother? Yeah, it's a copy pasted onto the child. So whatever you got and going on. And then the on, child then, then gets exposed to many different things of course. and develops its own. Yeah. And that's okay. But that's after it's born sort At of delivery, thing. At delivery, yeah. At, wow. Yeah, when it comes out, that's okay. when... It- so, in a very real way, the mother's microbiome is the baby's microbiome before at, at, it's born. At the Yeah. Now, I'm not too sure in terms of how much of the microbiome that the baby actually has initially. Uh, I, I think whatever the mother takes, the baby is impacted yeah. by it. Now, I'm not too sure in terms of the microbiome in the baby while it's in, in the womb. But yeah, definitely as soon as it, when it actually comes out, then it gets exposed to the things from the mother's breast yep. and as well as from the vaginal canal. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were mentioning breastfeeding then? Yes. Yes. So breastfeeding also helps to, to build a healthier gut for the baby and which then helps them to have less of the infection. So it, it increases their immunity and immune health. And they're less prone to allergies as well. And so the more, A, if you've got vaginal delivery, and also there is breastfeeding for quite, um, for as long as they can, the mother can, that actually then will help with less allergies. Okay. Developed as the kid actually grows. Uh, as the kid grows up a little bit, toddler stage, and then up to the age of that, that critical point, the three, four-year-old age, one of the things that I see a lot of mums doing, and this just seems to be fairly common, I'm not sure if you've studied this or anything, food pouches, like those puree pouches that a lot of mums do. I know of mums who really struggle to get their kids to eat anything. Maybe they're a picky eater. Or maybe they just don't like certain things. I've seen mums say, I can only get him or her to eat their food if I put some of this apple puree or some of this pear puree or whatever the the flavor is into their food and then they'll get that little sugar burst and then boom they can eat it what sort of things would you recommend mums feed their kids after they've gone past the breastfeeding stage i think whatever you can introduce as early as possible with colorful veggies obviously and then mix them up yeah like pureeing uh, for flavor as simple as uh, what I mean by simple is like no additives in terms of adding sugar. Adding, these are just um, flavor because they get to learn some of these flavors as well from the beginning. Yeah. And sweets and savories. Sweets and savories. And they will have each kid will be different. They have more of a, a pull towards a particular flavor, maybe more savory, more, more sweet. But even some veggies, one may not necessarily, but you want to try different kinds and explore the different kinds of food and colors. But they will also, they often also copy what other people are also yeah, right. eating around the table. Oftentimes, that's, I see even my niece and nephew, they see what mom and dad eats. I want to eat that too. <laughs> yeah, and good. yeah, that looks good. And so I think that also by example, you inspire them to, oh, I want to eat something like that by giving it a little bit of flavor. And, but yeah, keeping it, absolutely just pure and simple, I think is key. 
But it, yeah, it's a it's always a, a challenge when the kid doesn't want to eat it, <laughs> and if you have to actually then flavor it with another fruit or something that will actually help them to see, oh, okay, this actually tastes okay. But it is always going to be an experiment, actually, for each mother. We're coming to the end of our time together, Christiana. And at the end of the article, you gave us 10 tips for improving your gut. Now, obviously, we probably don't have time to go through every single one of them. But I'm just thinking from the perspective of somebody who maybe they're thinking, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor. Maybe I'll get this checked out. Maybe I won't. Regardless, I want to take some steps to get better gut health. And in this section, you give some generalized tips, some ideas for that, that are good for almost everybody. So I guess for our listeners today, do you want to take us through just a couple of these tips that anybody can do, just good first steps. And if you want to go deeper into any of them, then let's do that. Okay. So I've already touched a little bit about being moving more, exercising daily, enough sleep and and even stress and, and even whole food, plant-based food. And I think maybe one thing I want to mention about whole food, plant-based food is the concept of fiber. That's really what is... Our microbes love fiber. And the point that we want to make sure that how we can actually create a healthy microbiome is to have diversity of foods. When you have diversity of different kinds of plant-based foods, there is different kinds, there are different kinds of fiber, both soluble and insoluble. And these different kinds of foods, they actually feed different kinds of microbes because when i think of fiber i just think of rolled oats like i don't i'm not very creative i don't think of much else but i'm sure there's more than just having porridge in the morning yeah yeah even if you add some nuts that also has some some fibrous compound also some healthy fats and then you also can add some fruit uh, to that and so that also has the fiber and and also color uh, is a, I mentioned about having this rainbow on your plate. So I want to challenge everyone to try I consider you, we're supposed to have five to six serves of veggies a day, one to two serves of fruit. Okay, what will you do? What will you do different? How can you actually add one more serve or two more serves of veggies? And especially the ones that you don't usually eat. Right. Do a variety. This week, we're going to be trying out maybe some bok choy and some kale. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, oh, man. I'm so, everybody, so everybody excited about it. But then there's like also pumpkin. And then maybe next time, try out artichoke next week. And try out different things that you haven't necessarily tried. Beetroot, these amazing things that are just colorful things. The, heavy, the more the colors that you have, the more that you actually can feed different kinds of of these uh, microbes in our gut. You don't want to just stick with the same because then the rest of them who thrive on the other kind of fibers, the other kind of like colors, antioxidants, they then don't, they miss out on it. I think this is really important because most of us are very, we're habitual people. Humans are habitual. We like the same sorts of foods. And so yes. we tend to gravitate toward the same types that's of true. things. Yes. If I could eat pasta every day, I would. But I don't because I know that's bad for me and I probably should have other types of carbs and other types of food. Um, 
But I think that's so important. We don't tend to always be as adventurous. Some of us are foodies and love to do these different things. But I think what you're saying is especially important for those people who like their chicken nuggets and chips. Look, I, I was a meat lover before and I totally understand the taste of yeah what, that whole experience. Uh, but if you're a meat eater, add veggies, add even some of these lentils to your, even if you're pasta, not just have the tomatoes, but add some of these lentils, which actually makes it thicker. It adds flavor, but it also adds fiber to your diet. Then there's also the prebiotic fiber foods. And these prebiotic fiber foods are other things that the microbes also feed on. They, I mentioned already in the article there, garlic, onions, leek, shallots, spring onions, asparagus, beetroot, fennel bulb, green peas, broccoli, sweet corn, cabbage, artichokes, chicory, peas, kidney beans, whole grains, different kinds of these colored rice uh, that you can also explore on. Be explorative with these things, raspberries, green bananas, they actually also add resistant starch. And, and sometimes some people would say, if you want, if you usually have a smoothie, add some of these, you can get these green banana powder. You just basically chuck it into your smoothie, just a, a spoon of it and maybe a tablespoon or even a teaspoon to start with. And just to add this resistant starch, because these microbes, when they, when they actually feed on these resistant starch, they actually will release protective compounds that helps to actually protect the lining of your intestines, of your gut, reduces the risk of colon cancer as well. And these butyric acid that's actually released, these are really important. So having these prebiotic fibers are important. Colors, fiber, that's what you want to look for. So aim for a rainbow, but also the fermented foods like kimchi, sauerkraut, tempeh, miso, kombucha, kefir, unsweetened yogurt. So this is the natural unsweetened yogurt. These are the ones that you have less of the sugar because the sugar can also kill some of the bacteria. Really? Uh, Yes. And so we want to make sure that you expose yourself to more of these things that are more the naturally unsweetened ones. And if you're going to, if you have to sweeten it with something that is more whole foods, because that just makes it. So these fermented foods, they actually or probiotics, they actually then bring, introduce to you new microbes into your gut. Yeah, that's really good. I just want to make one note, and this might be a little harder for some people who live maybe in the country areas, but for those of us who live in cities like Sydney, one of the the game changers that I had when I went shopping was getting out of my regular supermarket, whether it's Coles or Woolies or for New Mm. Zealand countdown or new world. A lot of these places will have a decent enough selection of these foods, but actually trying a small farmer's market or an an Asian grocer or a, a European deli or an Italian deli or something like that they'll have a lot of these foods that maybe aren't stocked in your regular grocer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're cheaper and sometimes they're just fresher or better quality because they have to get them from these smaller farmers. Yes. Yes. And man, you can experience some of the best foods I've ever had have been from these little places. I never would have experienced them if I hadn't have stepped out of my comfort zone and tried something new. And it's that whole experience of shopping and trying out and seeing these different things and supporting what's actually local. Yeah. And even foods that are in season, you want to 
grab those ones because I think naturally they become, you have them accessible and they're cheaper usually as well. So I'm, very, I'm very suspicious of buying avocados and tomatoes right now in the middle of winter from my local, because <laughs> I'm like, was this uh, harvested and then frozen or is it out, out of season? You never quite know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, and I, I think we can always look out for what's really on special in some of these supermarkets and what's in season as well. So having a dose of prebiotic and probiotic, so feeding your gut, but then also introducing new ones, okay. introducing them through these other, the, the things that I mentioned there with kimchi, sauerkraut, tempeh, miso, kombucha and even when you're washing your veggies you get instead of just getting them fr fr there's nothing wrong with frozen veggies that's also has a role to play but even from the garden some of these some um, soil they might be there mm. uh, and i'm not saying that you don't wash your veggies <laughs> yeah, we right. should introduce dirt as uh, part of our like, diet it's not pleasant to just see worms <laughs> coming out of your food but uh, yeah, they actually, these, we get these like microbes from these foods. And look, if you've got a place where you can actually grow and you've got a healthy um, soil and you can grow your own veggies, that's even better. Look, I would love for me to be able to do that one day because then you have more magnesium rich soil as well. And these are the things in which magnesium is another thing to that's another topic uh. <laughs> <laughs> to consider. Yeah. The amount of magnesium that we take and then how much magnesium is in the soil, which then how much magnesium is are in these veggies. And okay. wow. Maybe, maybe an article for a future issue. I'm <laughs> my interest is peaked. Okay. Those are some really fantastic practical tips. Is there anything else that you'd like to just add as we come to the end of our time together? Uh, perhaps, if you are interested, I think education is powerful. And this is how I started to go into this journey of being plant-based. And uh, because I was exposed to a seminar, I was exposed to a, uh, yeah, it was like actually a health seminar. And that piqued my interest and it made me consider, like, what am I doing for my own health? And so I'm thinking about others who are thinking about, I don't know a lot about this. And you know what? You can know a lot about this. And there is so much to learn on, on the web. But we can actually help you to channel and be uh, help you to uh, consider some of the ones that are already considered by Lasa Medicine Professionals. So this is a program, Enhance Your Gut Health program, that people can actually take on. It goes for seven weeks. You can do it on your own. You can do it as a in a group. So you can look out for at www.lelwellness.com. So E-L-I-A-W-E-L-N-E-S-S. LEAWellness.com and there is a click on programs heading and you can see there enhance your gut health and you can find you can do it on your own and or you can actually do it in with a group of people so I, th I think that education is powerful and it helps us to learn more about how to actually be more responsible for our own health for our kids health for our family's health as well and what we feed and what what we put on the table and how we can encourage one another as well. Fantastic. Hey, Christiana, thank you so much for spending this time with us. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, article was fantastic. If you want to read 
Christiana's article, any of her past articles, and any of her future articles, you can do that at signsofthetimes.org.au. We will include a link to the Alia Wellness Gut Health Program. So that, if you're interested, is a fantastic resource that I definitely think you should check out. But for now, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A print subscription is $28 a year or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. This is an Adventist media podcast.